Well, amen and Merry Christmas, Rhett. It's like, what is that old, I don't know if it's a show business saying that you never want to, is it, you don't ever want to work with kids or animals or you never want to follow kids and animals. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, I want the sweetest little voice ever. If you have your Bible, um, we're going to actually be in the verses that was read, um, that the Millers read for us in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, if you'll turn there to, with me, Luke chapter 2. As mentioned uh, in the Advent reading this morning, um, we are, we're starting a, little, a short little sermon series. It'll go for the next three weeks um, on Advent. And some of y'all are thinking, well, there's, I know there's four things of Advent. Well, yes, there is. And uh, so we'll, we'll be, we'll, we're actually going to be, um, the sermon series will go the next three Sundays, but then on Christmas Eve, we will actually have a fourth Advent uh, mini-sermon as we gather together as a church um, over at our other campus, um, at our east campus, and so hope that uh, we could come together, that we can worship together that day, and uh, be able to partake in the Lord's Supper once again together um, as a, an entire body of Eastwood, rather than just our campus is doing it, we get to come together and do that, so it's going to be an exciting day, so hopefully uh, you'll be able to be a part of that on Christmas Eve. So the word here uh, for Advent, as we're in this particular sermon series, um, basically, as, as was, was read earlier, means coming. Just looking forward to something that is coming. And it's as we talk about Advent over the next four uh, sermons or next three weeks, uh, we're looking forward to the coming of Christ. So let's put some context a little bit to what we're talking about when we talk about the coming. We, it's not only the, the coming of the birth of Jesus, but it's also, as, as believers, the second coming of Jesus. And so when we talk about the advent, we are remembering the coming of baby Jesus during this particular season. But we also need to keep in mind that we're also talking about the coming of Christ for his church in one day in the near future, Lord willing. And so we talk about this season of Advent. Have you all, um, maybe, I don't know if y'all are like me or not. I kind of hope I'm not the only one in the room, and I'm okay if I am the only one in the room. I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be. But uh, I don't know if any, like, so I can count on one hand prior to the age of 27 that I ever shed a tear, that I ever cried prior to 27 years old. I don't know if it's just growing up in Oklahoma, wasn't much to cry about out there, other than football maybe, I don't know, and uh, brush fires, I don't know what, yeah, I never, I didn't, I don't remember a ton of times crying, um, and maybe I did, my mom, who, um, she'll watch this probably sometime this afternoon, um, she could, she'll text me and say, oh, you cried a lot, and I'll come back next week and we'll talk about it, but I don't remember crying a whole lot as a kid, <laughs> had a hard heart. Just like, I'm not going to cry. Nothing is going to make me cry. Heart of stone. Wasn't going to happen. And then 27 came along. 27 was the, uh, it, the only thing that really, that was big that happened when I turned 27 years old was we had a kid. And from that moment on, it's kind of been downhill ever since on the whole crying thing. I cry just about at anything almost anymore. An Ed Sheeran song. Like, it's happening, going down the road. You know, I'm just like, well, here it goes, you know, whatever. 
You know, I cry at the end. Or don't, I, I mean, this, let me preface this. It's not like tears, but it's like welling up. Like you're trying to stop it. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. Then it's cheer and song. Get a little teary-eyed at the end of Gladiator as Marcus, or, <laughs> I mean, Maximus is walking through the Elysian fields to meet his family. I'm just like, ah, oh, like I get it. You know, the whole movie, that whole movie that he was, he was waiting to be with his family. He was waiting to be with his family. Cried at um, cereal commercials. That's been, it's been a while since that one happened. It's been about eight years. But I remember it. I'm, I'm going to show it at Father's Day, I think, if I can remember to do this. So somebody remind me as we get closer to Father's Day. There was a, a Cheerios put out a commercial for peanut butter Cheerios. And I don't remember if you, um, if you remember peanut, like, it's not, I don't even think it's a thing anymore, but they put out this thing and it, they had this commercial about basically what it means to be a dad. And it was awesome. It was like the coolest thing. It was incredibly well done, just fun. But as I'm, as I'm watching this thing, I'm just like, man, I, I love, I love yes, that's what it's like to be a dad. <laughs> but I can remember, remember not crying a whole lot until I started having kids and it never fails. Every night, probably like many of y'all, I sit down and kind of unwind. I've got my phone in front of me, and I'm just going through the Facebook feed, just rolling through it. Some of y'all are Instagram, whatever that is. I'm a little bit older than Instagrammers, so I'm going through Facebook. And so we're, we're, I'm going through, and all, every single night, every single night, without fail, something comes across my Facebook feed that I'm just like, that got me. And it's always, it's always two things. Post-pandemic... Right after the pandemic, when you had all these videos of these families who hadn't been able to see each other in, in a year, 18 months. Maybe, they're, they're, maybe it was a father and a son hadn't been able to see each other, and so they came back together, and there was this reunion, and it was sweet, and they hug each other. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's it. That's power. And it wasn't anything. It was just, these, just this video of these two people who haven't seen each other in a long time, and they get to see each other. But the one that always gets me are military reunions. Military reunions. Every time. Never fails. When somebody's been deployed and they come back unexpected to the other family and they see each other and there's kind of this moment of just like, like, is this really happening? Is this a dream? And there's the embrace and then there's the hug and there's the tears. I've never been in that situation, but I'm a pretty empathetic person and I feel like I can feel people's pain and I sit there and I have to go, man, what, what a reunion. How cool is that? What a special moment that is, where you have these men, I mean, it could be even like football players, you've seen it too, where you have football players who are out on the football field, their dad is deployed, and they think that they're getting this, this message from a million miles away, and then all of a sudden, the dad comes out, and there's this football player that's a massive man of a man, and who goes out and plays a violent sport, and he is brought to tears in the arms of his dad because he has been waiting, and he has been longing for that dad to come. I'm tearing up thinking about it. Like how sweet and how special that is. There is something about those videos that, that really have, there's a, a lot of things in common, but the one thing that, that those last two um, examples have in common are the fact that there was a long wait. There was a long wait for something, and when it finally came to be, there was great joy in that moment because they were wanting the coming home aspect the coming back together this relationship they were waiting for the coming 
And when we look at Luke chapter 2, this is the context in which we have in Luke chapter 2. Is you have the Jewish people who have been promised the Messiah from the Old Testament and he hasn't come. And you have people, faithful believers in God, who are waiting for the coming of the Messiah and they have just been waiting. God said that it's coming. The Messiah is coming. The advent is coming. And so you have the Jewish people who are patiently, or sometimes not terribly patient, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In Luke chapter 2, we're familiar with Luke chapter 2, we get the birth story, the one that's read at every single, we're going to read it next Sunday night at the um, at Fireside Christmas, we will read the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. We're familiar with that. Jesus coming into the world. The Jewish people knew what it meant to wait for the coming Messiah. And as believers and as Christians, we should hopefully kind of get a taste of what that means to wait on the second coming, on the Christ when he comes back for his church. We should be patiently waiting because we look around and we see sorrow, we see pain, we see hurt, we see sin, and we, we grieve for this world and we hope for the next. Why? Because we're waiting on the coming of Jesus. We desire for him to be here and to come and to rescue us just as the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come rescue them. We spend most of our lives and a lot of our lives looking for something to fulfill, to fulfill an innate longing in our heart. We're waiting for something to come along that would fill this something that inside us that we can't quite explain, that there's something missing, we can't figure it out. A lot of theologians have called it this great void that is within us, this great space that we can try to, try to fill up, and, it, and it, nothing ever fills this desire that we have in our heart. We're looking for anything and everything that we can find to fill that up. Constantly thinking, when I get that particular job, when I get this particular thing, when I finish school, when I find this particular person, that, that thing, that one thing, whatever that is, it's going to satisfy me. It's going to satisfy me. It's that one thing that's going to make us whole, but it never, it never really does. It may feel it for like a moment. It may like, oh, you get this, this, uh, um, this rush of maybe adrenaline of something that, oh, this is great, this is great, but then it always lets us down. It's this longing and this nagging in our soul. But nothing we can do or nothing that we can find will ever fill that longing. And why is that? Why is that? Well, it brings us to the title of the sermon this morning. Is why is that? It's because Jesus is the one that we have been waiting for. He's the one that we're waiting for. You may not know it, but it's what you've been waiting for. But in order to, to see Jesus and come to Jesus, there are certain requirements. And the first thing that we see is that 
to see Jesus is to do so in faith. Take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Luke tells us here that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, apart from this particular story, we know nothing about the dude. This is all we know about Simeon. This is it. What happens in these few verses is all we know about Simeon. Now, as we've read the verses a second ago, and as we read through them again, and we kind of slowly walk through them over the next few minutes, uh, listen to what, they, what, what the Bible, what Luke tells about Simeon and what his life is like. He says, his name was Simeon, and this man was, relig- or was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is just a fancy term for the Messiah. He was waiting for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. So God had, God had blessed him and filled him with the Spirit. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now think about this just for a second. If you were to die today and have uh, the inscription written on your tombstone, I think a pretty good inscription, or at least for you to have a, a legacy that lasts more than just a couple, uh, a couple decades after your life, in this case, 2,000 years, Simeon was known as a man who was holy. He was righteous. He was devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That sounds like a great thing for people to, to look upon your headstone and say, this is a great. I mean, this man was great. It lasted 2,000 years. 2,000 years, and that is his legacy. That's all we know about the guy. We know that he was a righteous and devout follower. Holy Spirit was, on a, was upon him. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. We tend to think that Simeon was an older man because of his response here in just a second, that he was coming of age and he was getting to the end of his life and he's thinking that, oh man, the Lord has promised that I would see the Messiah. Not sure exactly. He could have been a young guy. But whatever had happened, we know that he himself had been filled with the Spirit and had been promised by God that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah. And he goes on in verse 27, Luke tells us in that he, talking about Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple when the parents, talking about Jesus, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law when he, uh, sorry, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, and we'll get into his little saying here just shortly. We notice about Simeon that he lived his life in faith and that he believed that the Lord had told him in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that to know Jesus, to see him, to come to him and receive him, you must, first of all, come to him in faith. You may be sitting there thinking that you would believe if you saw more evidence. How many times have we had that conversation with people? Well, I would believe if God would just do this, if I saw him do this. How many times have you thought that? I know I've thought it about a thousand times. Lord, just help me to, help, Lord, give me faith. Help me to have faith. Please just give me something I can hold on to, intangible I can hold on to. Do something. Do something great. We've all been there. We've all wanted to see that happen. We've all wanted to put God to the test in that regard. But ultimately, 
we have to come to Jesus through faith. Believing and trusting that he is who he says he is. That he did what he said he did. And that he will do for you what he said he would do for you. Because many of us, we're like the blind man in, in John chapter 9. If you, if you want to hang a left, or sorry, hang a right a little bit and go to um, John chapter 9, you can see in verse, verse 1 through 7, we're like this, the blind man in John chapter 9. You're familiar with the story. John writes here, he says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was, not this man, um, uh, it was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says here to his disciples, this guy can't see, he's blind. And he says that I am the light of the world. The, the guy can't see anything. He, he's been blind from birth. There is, there is nothing in which is getting through to him. And Jesus sits there and says, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, what did Jesus do? He spit on the ground. He made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, which has got to be one of the weirdest things in the world, right? Like to happen to you in life. Um, then, uh, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and he came back seeing. Why did he go to the pool of Siloam? Why? He'd been around this thing his entire life, and it's not like he hadn't tried to do and to, to get healed. He didn't want to be this particular way, and he, so he was around this area, been blind from birth, and so Jesus said, go and do this, and the guy, because he'd probably tried everything else in the world, he just went in faith that Jesus was going to do what he said he would do, and what happens? He comes back, and he sees. So to see Jesus like the blind man saw Jesus, you and I, we have to see Jesus in faith. So that's the first thing. We have to see Jesus. Uh, to see Jesus is to do so in faith. The second thing is to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. This is an interesting section of Scripture. We don't get many songs in the New Testament. Um, there's a few here and there. It's not like we have a whole book of Psalms um, in the Old Testament. A lot of singing going on in the Old Testament. There's not a ton in the New Testament. There's a few. I mean, they're all really good. But all of a sudden here, Simeon, here, when he replies to this, this situation here, when he took up Jesus in his arms in verse 28 and he blessed him, how did he bless him? He blessed him in a song and he lifts him up and he says, Lord, now you are letting your, your servant depart in peace. The, the word for Lord here is this idea of sovereign Lord, God over all things, every just little detail in life. He says, sovereign Lord, you are letting your servant, so he's, he's linking himself with God, I, like, so I am serving you, you are the master, I am serving you, and he says, you're going to let your servant depart in peace. He's talking about dying. I can die now. We've all had those moments too. I think, um, uh, I, I like food, I don't know if y'all or like me as well, but you've always been, you've been to like a nice restaurant or you've been someplace where you've had like an incredible meal. And there's, you know, it's just like, oh, this is wonderful. I could just, I could die right now and I'd be happy, right? Or it's something else in your life 
whatever that may be. It's like, I could die now and I would be happy. This is the moment that he is having, that Simeon is having in his life, where he saw the child. He saw Jesus, had him in his hands, and he goes to bless him. And he says, Lord, I can now die in peace. According to your word, according to what you have told me, that I would not... I would not die until I saw the Christ child. So I can now die in peace because you have fulfilled your promise to me. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying, my eyes have seen what it, your plan for salvation for the people. For Jews, he says here just right after this, for you have provided salvation for not only the Gentiles, but also for the Jews. As he does that, we oftentimes it's the Jews and the Gentiles. But he sits there and says, this is salvation for the Gentiles. A light in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, for the glory to your people Israel. He's saying that I have seen the salvation for every single person. Simeon proclaims that Jesus is salvation to both the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's seen it. And he says, I can die in peace. Simeon, all throughout this particular song here, is very clear as to who Jesus is. He's the promised salvation for all people. You and I, we don't get to decide who Jesus is. He must be taking exactly who he is and what, how Scripture proclaims him and who scripture proclaims him to be as the Christ. We also must see that Jesus is the salvation we all desperately need. So Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. But you have to come to him in faith, believing him to be the answer to your greatest problems. That greatest problem is the fact that we need to be made right with the Lord. We have sin that has separated and has fractured our relationship with the Lord. And God said that the only way that, this, that salvation can even happen, the only way that they can come to, to come to me in this relationship is if that relationship is bridged through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what did he do? God became a man. He became Jesus, as we see in John 1.14. He became a man. And that man went to the cross and he died. He shed his blood so that that relationship could be repaired. And so that he would bring salvation to all people. So Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. But make no mistake, we cannot be neutral with him. We either trust him completely or we deny him. There is no middle road. Trust him or deny him. So we see that Jesus, and that in order to see Jesus is to do so in faith. We have, in order to see him, it's to see God's salvation. And to see Jesus is to make a decision. Verse 34 and Simeon blessed them, talk about Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. The fall and the rising of many in Israel. This is a prophecy referencing Isaiah chapter 8. And Simeon is telling Mary here that Jesus would divide the nations, that some people would respond to Jesus' ministry, and then others would oppose his ministry. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, this is the prophecy that was just spoken of. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So Jesus here is going to be, he's going to be a divider. He's going to divide people. 
to those who faithfully seek him and to those who deny him. There is no middle ground. It's going to be a division. So he'll be appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword. He tells us what he tells Mary. Could you imagine this as a mother? And a sword will pierce through your own soul. So he blesses Jesus and says, this is going to be awesome. But Mary, let me tell you what's going to happen in your life. This is not going to be, it's not going to be all rainbows and unicorns. This baby is going to cause division. This baby is going to be like a sword and it will pierce your heart. It's going to, he's going to break your heart. Not in the way in which we get broke, hearts get broken as parents, but in a way in which that he is going to end his life. His life will come to an end. His life comes to an end and it's going to be heartbreaking for you. And so he's telling him, God's salvation, the one in which you bore, you are going to be blessed, but it's not going to be fun. But there's hope. If you have your Bible and you're kind of playing along at home here, hang a left. Let's take a look at Isaiah. We'll go back to it. Isaiah chapter 8. We just read verse 14. And in that prophecy, Isaiah, if you, if you were to continue on to the end of that chapter, just a, just a reminder, just a little, I don't know, maybe some biblical understanding. When, when the Bible was written, we didn't have chapters and verses, right? It was a story. So this entire book of Isaiah, just one continual story, narrative, prophecy. Like, it's happening. So when you get to the end of chapter 8, we had verse 14 where all these things are going to, going to happen. In verse 22, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Talking about these people who have, who, who God is basically, people have rebelled, and so God is basically disciplining them. And so it gets to the end, and it's a gloomy, it's a dark tale. At the end of that chapter, so if you were to read it, just like it was continuing to go on, it says, verse 22 again, and they will look on the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom and anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness, in verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, for us, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, and the nations. In verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in their harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff uh, for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on this day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In verse 6, we have hope. For unto us a child is born. To us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So this, this thing that we so desire, that we can't, that there's this longing that is within us, and we fill it with all kinds of things, all kinds of people, relationships. The one thing that we desire, some of us, we just may not know we desire it, but that one thing is Jesus. It's the only thing that fits that piece of puzzle that you're missing. It's the only thing that fills that void. And he was given to us. And there is hope. Because there, for unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That battle within your soul, with your spirit, that something's missing. To have peace and know that that is taken care of, that God has eased that burden, filled that void. That can be yours today. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. The longing of your heart, the longing of your soul is to be filled with the coming of Christ. So church, what does that mean for us? If you're here, you're a believer today. Why do we respond to that? We respond this morning with joyous gratitude. The long-awaited Christ, the one that Simeon was waiting for, the one that he saw on his face and said, I can die happy now, has come. He has come for the save, to save, to seek and save those of us who were lost. And so how do we respond as a church? We respond this morning with joyous gratitude. This should drive us to worship. As we stand and sing here just a second, we should worship We should worship in a way in which expresses our gratitude to the coming Savior. So our response this morning is simply praise. But if you're here this morning and you are at the end of your rope, you have looked everywhere to fulfill that hole in your soul, there is hope. Jesus is the one that you've been waiting for. But make no mistake, there's no neutral response to Jesus as we talked briefly ago, uh, um, just briefly, just a second ago. How you respond reveals the secret nature of our heart, what it is that we desire. So this morning you will make a decision. You, will, you, you, have the, the, you can decide to submit to him as your salvation, or you can walk away unchanged, still in darkness, still in hope, and still with the emptiness that you feel in your soul. As we celebrate Advent, we remember this season. We remember Jesus and him coming. 
coming for the sole purpose to die for your sins so that you can be reconciled with a God who loves you. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we always want to give you that opportunity. Before you leave this building, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we, we plead with you, don't leave without coming to faith in Christ. Because he is the one you've been looking for. Let's pray together.